0: November 15th, 2020, and you are listening to Sam Walking in the World, episode 35, the fastest growing podcast in all of No Top Terrace. And as always, these are the thoughts of a guy who used to be unhappy, now just trying to live like he wants to be when he dies. Guten Tag, Kia ora, ni top of the morning, fanaticheski, periwopariet, and eh? Plus, a big fat hello to all my devoted listeners throughout four continents in both hemispheres. I'm very grateful to all of you. And as always, I'm thrilled as ever to hear you listening to the sound of my voice. Now, I'm a little bit stuffed up today. Um, I'm not sure why. I'm pretty sure it's not COVID. I'm going to be regularly tested. I'll get to more about COVID a little bit later. Um, And some good news, I think, is coming down the pike. I'm going to talk a little bit about Alex Trebek. I love that guy. I don't know anyone who didn't love that guy. Um, I am going to add another thing to my list of things you cannot do gracefully, especially not in a hurry. Uh, I have a little bit of language stuff. I'm going to talk about the word fastidious. Uh, Some of you probably know what that means. Um, And then in politics, um, we're in a new time. Um, I'm not exactly sure what's going to happen but I'm preparing my mind for a Biden presidency. Um, Followed, of course, by a Trump presidency. (laughs) I don't know. Um, I'm going to just talk a little bit about political disagreement. Uh, I'm going to talk a little bit about how I I feel like sometimes liberal positions are like a a circular firing squad. I'll explain what I mean by that. Some of them don't go with the others. Some of them are the opposite of the others. Um, i talking about the media's reaction to the fact that Trump is planning a coup, and it will take the military to get him out of the White House. <laughs> it's so ridiculous. I'm going to play some sound for you. Um, uh, across the board on things, um, a, l- a little bit of, of Elizabeth Warren, um, some Adam Schiff. I know you're going to love that. Um, I'm going to play a little bit of Maxine Waters from back when uh, Trump was first elected. And I'm going to give you like a little montage of things the media have said about Trump. Um, Now that they're in a more, um, I'll say, compassionate mood, now that they have power, uh, they want us to unite. And um, no name calling. That time is over. Um, now we're in a new era where we're going to be polite and nice and we're not going to disparage each other. I'm just going to play for you a little bit of things that happened uh, in 2016 and 17. And that today I will share with you my experience with a white, woke, uh, suburban woman. And uh, a dynamic I believe I've discovered. I've seen it a lot in my teaching years. I saw it a lot because I got to know many, many teachers and many teachers, and you probably could guess, are liberal. And uh, but I would also get to know—I would get to know them as people and how they lived their lives, what their feelings were about the things going on in their daily lives. Now, sometimes it did not jibe. That's jibe, not jive. Jibe means to be in harmony with. So, um, before I get to all that, let me just do some stupid stuff. Uh, speaking of being stuffed up, like I said, you probably can tell my nose is stuffed up. Um, I had my first nose hair alert. What is a nose hair alert? A nose hair alert is in the in the fall as it turns toward winter. You get that very first time your nose hairs stick together when you breathe in. When you're outside and you take a deep breath and through your nose, the air goes and then it creates this kind of... Sticking feeling in your nose, like your—I think it's your nose hair sticking together. But it is a, a a physical, like almost like basal indicator to your body that winter is coming. Um, I remember even when I was a kid. I remember you know, by October, beginning of November. I I kind of liked it then because it meant hockey season was starting. But it was always always an indicator to me whether I was conscious of it or not. So, um, I don't know if you've already had your nose hair day, or you're going to have it. And um, remember me saying this when you do. Uh, Okay. Alex Trebek. Um, This is a dude who, it just seems like, had no enemies. He was very intelligent, very kind from all accounts. Personable, talented, a family man. Um, and, uh, and pancreatic cancer got him. So I think that there's a little bit more awareness now of pancreatic cancer. It's supposedly one of the worst. But you know, I always remind myself when someone dies that we're all going to die. And Alex Trebek lived a very good life. Whatever it is we're supposed to do here before we die. Because our lives are finite. On this earth whatever it is we're supposed to do here, he did it. it just reminds me of how much I want to do it. So, rather than talk about what it is that killed him, I'd rather think about what it is that made him live. I think it's God. But now, everyone's talking about how we're going to replace him. How do you replace such a legend? They're banding about names of people. Um, like I've heard uh, um, George Stephanopoulos wants the job. Um, I heard uh, somebody was saying Will Farrell. Because Will Farrell did such a funny impression of him on Saturday Night Live. But I don't know how that would work. It would, you wouldn't be able to tell whether he was joking or, or serious. Because Will Farrell himself, is he has all those qualities too. <clears throat> he's a smart guy. He's a funny guy. And he's a talented guy. And he's very personal by all accounts. People would love him. But it would just be weird because you, you wouldn't be able to tell. Should he do it as himself or should he do it as Alex, Alex Trevac? You know what I mean? it would be confusing. I think Christopher Walken should do it. I think that would be hilarious. Coming up on Final Jeopardy, where the scores can really change. Or uh, Joe Press, Joe Bash Joe Bash, you can do it. <laughs> I can just see him sitting there and look on his face when someone has a stupid answer. Like you were serious about that? <laughs> Whoever it is. Some are saying just get rid of the show. It had its run and things in. But there are so many people uh, that I think love the show just because of the nature of the show. And they also loved Alex Trebek, but maybe they would be willing to go on with somebody else. But I honestly, I like watching it because it makes me, it puts me back in check, right sizes me, because I only get like, I would say maybe 30% of the questions right. Um, It reminds me of that scene in The Groundhog Day when Bill Murray knows all the answers because he's already lived the day a thousand times. He's drinking the whiskey. (laughs) He's all depressed. That's a great movie. Everyone's probably heard of it. It's not called Groundhogs today, by the way. It's called Groundhog Day. We have this need to put S's on things like Aldi's and WalMarts. Anyway. Uh, All right, okay, moving on. (laughs) I'm in a silly mood. Okay, things you can't do gracefully. All right, I'll read the list off really quickly until I get to the one that I've noticed recently. That is, okay, here we go. One is running in flip-flops. Two is drinking from a cocktail straw. Three is opening a ream of printer paper. Four is getting a wall clock over a nail. Five is walking while holding your dog by the collar. Six is grabbing exact change from your cup holder in your car. Seven is getting wet feet into sweatpants. Bare feet. Eight. Now, the new one is changing your shoes while sitting in your driver's seat of the car. You think, okay, I'm sitting. There's a little bit of space underneath. Spot for my other sneakers. I can just swap these sneakers out with the other sneakers. Not easy. You can get your first pair off pretty easy. You just do that toe-on-the-heel thing on both of them, and they both pop off. Then you got to get the other ones on. You can either... Try to fish your foot into the top of the sneakers and just kind of slide them in without using your hands. But you have to do that perfectly. That's like landing an Olympic ski jump. One thing wrong, and if if the shoe flops sideways, the whole tongue goes inside with the shoe. Um, And you realize, all right, I guess I have to get my hands involved. And then it's impossible to. I, I, I literally have banged my head on my own steering wheel and honked the horn. And you're like, all right. I'm just going to slide the seat back. And each thing you do adds work to the task, and that frustrates you because you wanted it just to be done quickly. You probably would have been better off opening the door, and then doing it sideways with your feet out the door. That's what I recommend now. But it's difficult. Like if it's raining out, as it was for me the other day. Um, just a very. I, I recommend you try it just to see how difficult it is. And if you if you probably do it anyway. That definitely deserves a presence on this list. I'm up to eight now. I'm sure it will continue to grow. Um, I, my dog did a funny thing. Um, my dog is always very smart. And everybody says that about their dogs and their kids. But I guess I think it's true. So my dog, and, and my, probably all dogs are smart is really the, the, the point. And they get used to routines and they know usually what's going to happen after something else. Like this happened, okay, this is this other thing is probably going to happen. They know almost better than we do, the causes and effects in our lives. And so I was on the way down the stairs. I gave her a treat after our walk and I was on my way down the stairs. And I, at the top of the chute, she ran about halfway down the stairs and was looking up at me. And she kind of knew we were going down anyway before I even suggested it. And then I grab the second bone. My wife will yell at me when she hears this because I feed the dog too much. Although she's incredibly fit. We just got her shaved and we can see the actual leanness of her body. She looks like a thoroughbred. But I digress. I grab I was on my way at the top of the stairs and my dog turns her turns her head halfway down, still kind of aiming down the stairs, but looks at me like and I swear the look is are we are we going all the way down here or what are we doing here? We stand up there, we going down here, coming down the stairs or what? My dog now has learned the word all the way down. I don't know if I just have happened to have said it many, many times, like I would to a person, like I would to a six-year-old, seven-year-old, which she is. I'll be like, all the way down. She'll just turn and run all the way down the stairs, and because I always come down after, I don't, I don't pump fake. Um, she just goes running down the stairs and into her place with her bone. It's really cool. I really don't like it when people fake throw a ball for a dog. Something inside me goes, that isn't fair. It's almost like lying to the dog. And a neighbor's kid, who's a great kid, was an, and he just comes into our yard and plays with the dog. It's great because she gets exercise. And I have the best neighbors. I have to say it. I really have the best neighbors. I've never, I've always kind of lived in neighborhoods where the people around me were much older. And it's also kind of true in this case. There's some, you know, kind of surrounded by, I don't know, I guess elderly people. But across the street, I have an awesome neighbor. And he's got two kids that are 7 and 10, I think, and they're always playing. And then we have this giant cul-de-sac I would have killed for this cul-de-sac. It's probably 30 or 40 yards wide. No, maybe that's an exaggeration. 20 or 30 yards wide. But, God, they play wiffle ball, kickball, soccer, Um They throw Frisbees. They throw footballs. And my dog gets to just sit there on the edge of the road watching, sometimes joining. And um, uh, anyway, the kid comes over sometimes and throws these balls to her. And I, I, I think it's just a human urge to kind of trick people. You know, there's that, that feeling you get when you trick somebody. I don't like it. I really don't trick people that much, only in small ways that don't change their mood or make them question whether or not they can trust me or, you know. Um, and I don't mind being tricked, though. I don't mind being embarrassed. So I guess there's really not that much wrong with tricking people. But I always feel like with a dog, a dog is so innocent. And you've been throwing the ball, and, and it's been starting its starting its run. You know, like when you re- rear your arm back and set your foot, your the dog knows that posture and starts running toward where he thinks the ball's going to go or she. And when you hold the ball and put it in your pocket, the dog has to look all around because he can't find the ball, and then come back to you confused. And then you do it again. And then finally you throw the ball, but the dog wasn't able to get its head start, which obviously is, is satisf- you know, creates some satisfaction for the dog to get that head start. It's like you're lying to the dog. The dog will trust you less. Now I want my dog to trust me. Because I want, when I say all the way down, for my dog to go all the way down. So if you have pets and children, I recommend that you teach them that. Or not. I could be wrong. I always could be wrong. Uh, all right, I'm going to take a quick break. When I come back, I'm going to talk about the word fastidious. Um, I'm going to describe uh, a kind of conundrum about what it means to be half naked. I did say that in the opening. And then uh, a quick reference to Rocky Three, when Rocky and Apollo Creed were on the beach in Rocky Three, and they were running along the shore. Um, uh, kind of a little, maybe a little bit of an uplifter. It uplifted me when I thought, so I'll share with you. Uplifted me? What am I? Lifted me up. So I obviously need this break, and so I will take it right now, and I'll be back with a little bit more before I get to my politics. <laughs> Hello and welcome back to Sam Walking in the World, episode 20 I'm sorry, 35, 35, wow. Okay, I want to talk a little bit about language and kind of a little bit about people, um, and, a li- and a little bit about the word fastidious. Um, for those of you in Rio Linda, you can go um, eat some peanut brittle and then come back in about 10 minutes if you want, or maybe you can learn something. Um so, fastidious. Uh, everyone knows, if you know the word, then you probably know some people who are fastidious. Fastidious people always look to me like they're sort of suffering. I remember because I was fastidious. And I felt it. Uh, fastidious people are always sort of worrying that they didn't quite get everything done perfectly. Now, it makes for great product. These people can be put in charge of anything. You can trust them to get it done. Could you please clean the inside of my car? It will be immaculate. Because they're fastidious. And uh, we, colloquially, fastidious has come to mean extremely careful, extremely thorough, extremely consistent. But also kind of like a little elitist. In a sense, like, you know, it's impossible to meet their standard of how it ought to be. Their standard is, admittedly, extremely high. So I like fastidious people. And I can tolerate the little bit of elitism that goes with it. But I also feel sorry for them. I want to some way reassure them that everything's okay. And maybe even like, you know... It's really hard to tell a fastidious person, hey, man, what difference does it make? Or let it go, man. Not possible. Somehow, um, getting it done perfectly is in their nature, it's in their hardwiring. And they get a lot done perfectly. Like I said, I got a lot done perfectly when I was fastidious. I've kind of downgraded myself to somewhat careful. Sometimes not even that, like uh, sometimes I'm down there, like hey, whatever. I, I went from fastidious to sometimes careful to hey, whatever. But I still get things done, as I've said in earlier episodes. I, I still get things done, and I kind of get them done, probably not perfectly, but without that suffering. So I looked it up, as I many as I often do, as I many do, man. Oh, all right. Um, and it, what occurred to me about the word right away was that <laughs> I was thinking it's called fastidiousness, right? The what was it, what would it be the noun would be fastidiousness? No, no, yeah, yeah. Fastidious would be the adjective, and fastidiousness would be the noun. But I thought, wouldn't it be cool if the noun was fastidiousy? Fastidiousy. <laughs> uh, it's such a great. Uh, Describer of the word fastidiousy, but not idiocy. I don't mean to call them idiots because they're not. But it's it is remarkable how that would go. But as I looked up fastidious, I found fastidious has a rather disgusting past. Right, there's nothing um offensive like about fastidious like workmanship. Yet the word traces to the Latin noun fastidium. Sorry for my nose meaning aversion or disgust fastidium fastidium itself is probably they say a combination of the latin words festus, meaning arrogance and tadum tadium meaning irksome or disgust tadium also gave us the word tedium and that's kind of what i was thinking of when i thought about the suffering that fastidious people go through is that they're they are tedious life appears tedious. When I think of tedious tasks, I hate them. The things that I don't get enjoyment out of and I'd rather just have someone else do for me or just be done. No one likes a tedious day. You'd rather have a busy day. And so, to all of you out there who are fastidious, I feel your pain. And it's going to be okay. Okay, those of you from Rio Linda can come back to the computer. All right, I want to talk about being half naked. <laughs> I hear this all the time. It's usually used in a disparaging way. Like so-and-so is in a picture and they were half naked. Look at her walking around half naked in that thing. And it's funny because it's half. We have, t- at least men, men have two very different halves. Women have very different halves, too. Both of them are, um, let's say, you know, f- people feel as though they ought to be covered for, you know, discretion, for to be proper. Um, the top and the bottom. And for men, though, it's a little bit different <coughs> in that one is completely innocuous. The top. And the bottom is not innocuous. So I was like, whenever people describe someone as half naked, it's like they, I've I've seen it used like this. Somebody will be, say maybe like someone's jealous of somebody, and and they're walking around with their shirt off. Say it's a guy, and they've a nice, you know, they're fit. They have a nice body, so to speak, and and someone who doesn't have a nice body or envies it will say, "Look at him. He's always walking around half naked." Now, it's like they borrowed the word half-naked because it might also mean something bad. Like, like they're not being specific about which half is naked. Because if, if a man was walking around half-naked and it was the bottom, <laughs> uh, like Winnie the Pooh, uh, that would be funny. Uh, that would be funny. It would also be offensive. But you wouldn't say half-naked then. You'd say something else. It seems like it's always used when someone has their top off. They're half naked. Or when a woman has a dress that covers the important parts of the top and the important parts of the bottom, so to speak, and just shows like maybe a lot of legs and shoulders and maybe back. Um, And someone will say, oh, look at her. She's half naked. Maybe she's got a nice body. She's fit. And she's showing off the parts that are appropriate to show off. I mean, some would argue they're inappropriate too, but you know what I mean. If, if, if most of the stuff that someone else would, would find objectionable to show off, it's funny too because those parts really aren't objectionable. I think that people have an attraction to them. And so, like, it, it, they don't want to be, like, I don't know what, almost attracted. They don't want to be stimulated or whatever. I don't want to get too blue here. but um, I think it's, a, it's something about their own self that makes them find it irksome when somebody is uh, half naked. <laughs> so next time you say half naked, check yourself. So if you're just talking about a guy with his shirt off, uh, maybe you have some uh, internal conversations to have. I recognize that when I did it. Um, I'm really not I try not to be that judgy anymore. I am though, but anyway, mm-hmm. moving on. one last thing before I get to politics. and that is Rocky Three. for some weird reason, I was putting things off in my day. and I always end up getting to things. I am not fastidious, like I said, but I am thorough eventually. And the trust in the fact that I know I will get it done allows me to relax in the moment where I haven't done it yet, if that makes any sense. But um, a lot of people probably remember when Apollo Creed was trying to help Rocky get in shape to fight Klubberlang. He had just lost his title to Klubberlang uh, because he, he sacrificed his passion for glory. Survivor would say, um, and uh, one of the best songs ever, by the way, "Eye of the Tiger." And um, Apollo R- R- Rocky's running, and he just remembering the past and his defeat, and he's feeling negative and depressed, and he just stops running. And he says, they will do it tomorrow." And Apollo Creed tells him, "There is no tomorrow. There is no tomorrow." And it's funny how true it is. It's so weird that we know there's one from this vantage point, but there never ends up being one. Tomorrow, as Billy Joel tells us, is today. It's just the one before. There is no tomorrow. No one has ever lived a tomorrow. Think about it. No one has ever lived a tomorrow. Why, obviously, when they get there, it's today. Uh, I Once when I was in college, I, I don't like to read things or, or do anything like this on this um, podcast. But I, I wrote this when I was like, I don't know, 19 years old. And I thought, wow, I can't believe I had a glimpse of that truth at that age. And I, it just it's a simple, short little poem. And it goes like this. Before today has passed away, live all its joy and sorrow. Because every dimming yesterday was once a bright tomorrow. And fools are they who invest today in hopes that tomorrow will last when all that become of days to come are days that come to pass. With that, I will take a break and be back after these messages. Welcome back to Sam Walking in the World, episode 35. Now, I'd like to talk about something Um, it might at first sound esoteric, but I don't think it is. I think it's applicable to all. Esoteric, for those of you in Rio Linda, means uh, likely to only be understood by a small group of people or a specialized group of people. Uh, But you probably didn't understand any of that either. So for the rest of you, um, this is what I wanted to talk about. Um, I've been thinking a lot about it. I hear people talk about how unique the time we're in is, and I agree. With COVID, worldwide COVID, worldwide pandemic, um, and people have to go back to before their own lifetime to cite an example of this. So we are all, in a sense, in a common peril, the whole world. Um, and now it's not like Ebola or, you know, you know, you get near it, you die. Um, I think in some quarters it's been made out to be that way. <clears throat> but we know the facts about it now, and we know that we have treatments for it and a vaccine coming. But nevertheless, we are, we are all and have been all in a, a common peril. By that I mean, I, I don't really think anything unites a group of people like sharing the same fear. It's kind of like having the same enemy, and um, I've heard it likened to um, a, a shipwreck that gets saved. No matter what class of person you are on the ship that's going down, when you get saved, you all have a commonality. You know, the captain of the ship would celebrate with, you know, one of the custodians. I'm sorry. Uh, grounds managers, um, just the same. They would share something that's very unique and it's essential to life, really, is what it has to do with. They were, they were both going to lose their lives <clears throat> because they didn't. Um, I think there ends up being a bond there that uh, is unique to any other kind of bond. Uh, and so I think that we kind of have one of those going on right now with COVID. And for those of us in our region, which is the Northeast, for me, of the United States, um, we're, we're entering a winter. <clears throat> so we have a resurgence of COVID, and we're going into a winter. And it could be potentially a very dark time. Now, I don't think it will be for me, as a, as you might, might have guessed from my Sentiments about life, in general actually, but I'm sure for a lot of people, and and not to say that winter isn't a sort of down time, I don't mean down emotionally, I mean like you know, the world gets smaller. Um, <clears throat> it's uh, you got to wear gloves, you got to kick snow and slush off your boots, you got to take jackets off. You're hot in places because you had to wear your jacket there, but then there's no place to put your jacket, so you got to wear it. And you're hot, and it's just it's it's a cramped time. You know you got to constantly be paying attention to your windshield wipers, as you know is a pet peeve for me. Um, and just in a lot of ways, it's just a, it's a difficult time to get through. You got to drive slower. I think a lot of that stuff ends up being a benefit, not just because it makes us appreciate spring when it comes, but it slows us down makes us ask ourselves, why are we really rushing? But what I wanted to get to was how I have a feeling that looking back on this, because I try to like think of every every present moment I'm living in as a future thing I'm going to look back on. Because I will if I'm alive. So I'm trying to think like what will what will I look back on this present time? and remember it as two years from now, five years from now. And I have a feeling that as bad as this feels, we are all about to experience one of the best things any of us has ever experienced. I think I think we're going to, and I could be wrong, what do I know? But I think that we're all going to enter... Or have or get to experience a, a a global renaissance, Like a modern renaissance worldwide. Why do I say that? Here's why. I think I think people need people. I believe in God, as I've said many times, and I believe God is inside me. I believe I, I I kind of feel like describing it as like. Um, God left his handprint and said, or like, maybe like a little pilot light. That's a good way to explain it. And, um, what I do with that is up to me, but it's in there and it's, I believe in all of us. And, um, and I think that two things, one is going to be the COVID vaccine. And the other for at least us in the area of the world where I live, the area of the country I live, um, Northeast is is spring, so we'll be free of COVID. Let's just say potentially free of COVID, and it will go from winter to spring. And if you think of the ways that life has kind of been canceled during this time. Young kids who need to get their energy out can't play sports. You know, um, little kids can't be running around. Playgrounds can't be at school in a lunch line, or you know, rustling up and down hallways in school. I don't really know I use the word rustling. I will carry on. But adults can't do the things adults do. Whether it's going to movies or going out to eat with your loved ones at restaurants or just paling around and when when covid goes away and spring comes i think it's going to be an explosion of humanity now worldwide i think that there's going to be a renaissance also in the sense that there will be i believe an enormous amount of potential creativity released like potential energy that's been pent up for the last i don't know year is going to get released in the form of art and music and just creativity of all kinds. And I think that because I, I really believe that creativity comes from God. It comes from the God inside us. And I, I and this is just might sound crazy, Gio. This is where I might get a little bit esoteric. Is that I think that God inside me likes to be around the god inside other people and that together somehow that power is strengthened i think that's what love is really the reason why being in love is better than being alone is because you have two of those feelings together connecting and and i don't even mean just in romantic ways i just mean groups of people teams all having their you know internal fire combined with the fires of other people and it just, it causes a chain reaction that creates, you know what, creates period. And I I can't help but think it. I can't help but think that this is one of those moments where if I didn't stop and say, I have a feeling this is going to happen, that I would later on look back and say, wow, why didn't I see this coming? And so it, what it does is it puts me in a po- really positive frame of mind. Now, I also kind of don't mind another winter because I need about four more months to complete my physical transformation. Um, uh, as I've told you, I've, I've lost like six inches off my waist. My hips are healed all the way up from my hip surgery a year ago. And my my, my mind, my body, and my spirit are finally aligned so I'm ready for the Renaissance. And and I, I, I'm going to continue doing what I do throughout the winter, knowing that for me, not only will it be spring and COVID be gone, I'll be my best self. Or at least at that moment, I'll be my best self. And I'm really looking forward to it. I'm not going to um, stress out about the winter. I'm going to just think of it as, you know, time. A good friend of mine calls time things I must experience. T I M E things I must experience. She has a very unique perspective on the world. Thank God. I I get her advice a lot. Wise woman. Anyway, uh, I hope I didn't freak you out with that, but I I really think it's coming. And um, I hope two years from now or so I can look back and replay this podcast and be like, yep, yep, yep. Or maybe I'm wrong. You never know. But, thank you for listening. With that, I'll be back after these messages. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: Welcome back to Sam Walking in the World, episode 35. Thanks, as always, to the milkman being on the spot. He's the cow on the spot. With the spot. (laughs) Actually, I don't think he has any spots. Do you have any spots? None that he wants to show us. Okay, before I get to the hard politics, I want to talk a little bit about kind of lifey politics, if there's such a thing, which I believe there is. But I'm going to talk about, I'm going to get to, um, you know, the changing of the president and all that stuff. But first, I'm going to get to um, my experience with the white, woke, suburban woman. I realize that I'm sucking my lips a little bit, like, in between things I say, I go trying to eliminate that. just wanted to make you aware that I'm aware of it. And I apologize. Or maybe I don't. Anywho. I don't like it when people say anywho. So, my experience with a white, woke, liberal woman, suburban woman. And I think how the there's a dynamic that exists that I saw, like I said in the opening, um, a lot when I was a teacher in the inner city school that will remain unnamed. I saw plenty of teachers who recognized the, uh, let's say challenge of, uh, dealing with people who were, I guess for lack of a better word, dysfunctional, didn't really value education, couldn't behave. Um, Many parents weren't involved. And this was what... You, this is a group of people that I'm talking about. You could call... Well, they're in your city. But you could call them, I guess, disadvantaged. If you want to be complimentary or poor. Um, if you want to just be raw about it. But many of these teachers had a very... When it came to politics, a very liberal mindset. Uh, if you talked about the, you know, the main political bullet points, they would probably... Always lead to the left, and but in their own lives, especially a political candidate when the election season rolls around and you're dealing with these people who are in the same battle you are trying to help this culture, this group of people. Um, this and by culture, I mean you know, disadvantaged. Um, I did it again there, (laughs) and um, you you see that they understand the nature of what's going on. And it frustrates them. Students are constantly absent, so they can't learn the algebra. Or, you know, a behavior is happening, and and you need for the behavior to go away so that learning can happen, and you cannot get leverage, say, so to speak, on the other side. In order for a person to change their behavior, it has to be, at school at least, it has to be um, a Kind of a two-person job. It's gotta be the teacher expecting it and the parent enforcing it. Because we as teachers, we don't really have the ability to really enforce anything. As I said many times, we in the inner city at least, we can't suspend our way to change because there'd just be too many suspensions. And since there isn't enough leverage on the other side on the home from the home, um we ended up having to tolerate behaviors and it creates an atmosphere where i think it must be difficult it must create an in, an internal conflict in these people because they're living the reality it's affecting them emotionally and they and psychologically and they at the same time have to hold these liberal views i don't know why it was re- the reason why i gradually grew toward conservatism i saw it in my own life and i saw what liberal policies did in my own life and i thought you know what i I think I'm conservative. Personal responsibility, conservative. I don't look at it like, well, they they um, have no choice in the matter. They have no power over their situation, and they're they're confronted with all of this. I thought to myself, all of this what? Racism, really? That's what's causing kids to not go to school, to misbehave. Implicit bias in the in the curriculum. Is that really it? We're talking about learning letters, writing sentences, doing math, very basic things that everyone should know. Some others a are cultural barrier. It just doesn't make any sense. If you're in it, it doesn't make any sense. And I just wonder why it doesn't move. And maybe it doesn't. I don't know it. Maybe these are all these secret Trump voters, but maybe, and you can't, definitely can't say that you're conservative in a school, especially a city school. Um, because they've bought completely into the idea that the failure, the, uh, the, the extremely low graduation rate, the low reading and math skill rate um, is not the fault of the, of the students or the parents. It's got to be something we need to tweak better. And that's why every year teachers have to learn a new reading program or this math program worked better. It, it worked based on research in some city that's supposedly like yours, but it isn't. Or they do something fundamental that's different, like with charter schools. They actually have standards, and they can remove you if you don't meet those standards. The rest of the city schools don't have that. And I, I'm I'm sure that's why liberals don't want charter schools. Because what would be left in the inner city are the students that, it would be obviously revealed, don't value education. That's the main reason why they're not learning. Because anyone who wants to can even in the city schools, <clears throat> in the city high schools, there are some brilliant, brilliant people that come out of city high schools. But they're at the top percentage of them, and they, they are not enough of them to create a culture in the building. The high school culture in a building is usually lots of swearing, lots of skipping class being in the hall, um, lots of other generally destructive habits like littering, dumping milk out on the floor of a hallway and it was like not once in a while You had to walk past the lunches people would not be allowed to sit in this hallway because they needed to get away from other people in the cafeteria so they we let them kind of spread out down a hallway and you to walk down that hallway it was like a gauntlet of salad dressing mayonnaise packs half open uh, half empty milks styrofoam trays a styrofoam tray with a little bit of ketchup and one chicken nugget in it. Dumped over sodas. And you, you think this is, the, this is the culture of the building that also is able to create these very brilliant people. There just aren't enough of them. And like I said, you cannot suspend your way to success. And, and it's true, you can. But something else obviously has to be done. So this is the reality that a white, wo- white woke liberal... Former teacher, this particular person, will remain nameless. Actually, to tell you the truth, I don't really even remember her name. I just know that she kind of lives in my neighborhood somewhere. She's a very nice woman and very smart, it appears. But she is, I can tell, going through this this conundrum. And it happened this way. Um, I was was outside with Sadie and... uh, and this person was walking with her mother, kind of an elderly mother. And I had—I happened to have my Black Lives Matter sweatshirt on. Now, I used to wear it ironically. I kind of both. I wanted to show people that I, I thought Black Lives Matter for people that would genuinely take it that way. They would see a white guy wearing a, a Black Lives Matter sweatshirt. Just be like, ah, maybe there is some harmony in this world. And then I also, the people around me who know I'm conservative always took it as ironic, you know, or like satirical in some way, which I, I, I allowed, to be honest. But it's also really comfortable. It's like one of the best made sweatshirts. It, the arms kind of taper, so I'm never having to pull the sleeves up. They stay kind of right against my forearm. And it's nice and big, but stretchy a little. Okay, I'm going to too to that, but it's a nice sweatshirt. And so I was wearing it, and I was at the end of my driveway, and this woman walked up. And of course, everyone gives Sadie attention because she's so lovable. And she saw my sweatshirt and said, oh, I like your sweatshirt. And it, this is after the elections were over to the point where it looked like Biden was going to win. The, the the late ballots kept on coming in and it had flipped a bunch of states like Georgia, Pennsylvania, and um, Arizona. And she was fairly confident that... Biden was going to win. So we were having this conversation under the auspice that Biden was president now. She said, I like your sweatshirt. And she said, isn't it great? I trust that you're for Biden, right? And I lied to her. I said, yeah, yeah, he's president. Tried to walk the line. <laughs> and, uh, and she goes, isn't it nice to finally have a president that tells the truth? oh my god, when people take that, pull that one, card out, tell the truth it's like, I want to be like you <laughs> first of all you're correct when you say that Trump lied sometimes but you're suggesting then that Joe Biden hasn't and doesn't lie like it's such a black and white way to look at it versus looking at what the lies are, what they're about, do they matter because to, the idea of having a pristine president is non-existent. It's gone. In a way, Clinton, Bill Clinton kind of paved the trail for that. I bet it would have been JFK who paved the trail. I mean, not paved the trail, blazed the trail. Um, but there just wasn't the kind of media there is now. I bet that Marilyn Monroe would have been a huge scandal. Um but, but but decorum was different at the time. It didn't explode like like Bill Clinton and Monica Linsky exploded. We had to have that conversation. does it matter what kind of person the president is. And anyway, we, I think we have. And so, but now then we get back to the, it. Always seems like whichever side it is, if their president is has flaws exposed, they say that the kind of person it is doesn't matter. It's whether or not they do the job. And if someone is doing the job, but they're on the opposite party of you, then all of a sudden you care a ton about what kind of person they are. That happens. But I'm getting way off track. So she was under the impression that I was a Biden person. And she began talking about herself and her life. And my wife came out. My wife seems to be able to draw everyone's history out of them. Everyone they're related to, my wife does the Kevin Bacon game, finds out in every single way what tentacles touch our tentacles. Tentacles, by the way. And uh, so I learned about her. And this this isn't the dynamic I believe happens. When a person has to live in the conditions of liberalism, but want to hold the intellectual idea of liberalism. So I think politically, and I'll give specifics about the case of this woman as I talk, but the politically liberal people find themselves in jobs that are affected negatively by a dysfunctional segment of society. I wrote this little part in case it sounds like I'm reading. Typically under one, typically one under the governance of a democratic policy. So this is a Democrat state, it's a Democrat city, and it's definitely a Democrat school board. So speaking of the inner cities, so here's the internal conflict. The white woke person finds themselves between these two ideological forces. One is the liberal stance that does not allow white woke people to blame the dysfunctional parenting that is rampant in in urban, largely minority centers, untenable family values that fail to support the value of education. This might sound harsh, but if you've been in it, the importance of personal responsibility.
1: And Now, uh, the, the left is going
0: so far as to say that that's racist, is to expect personal responsibility. It's just a cultural difference. Some people are responsible, some people are irresponsible. It's just a difference, that's all. Some people are different, you know, irresponsible. Um, socially appropriate behavior is not encouraged or it's not modeled. Somehow it's learned by the people, the young people. And and because the reason why they can't blame them uh, is, according to the white woke philosophy, the plight of these groups is not due to their actual choices and behavior, in the present moment at least. It's due to systemic bias, injustice, racism, whatever you want to call it, that is inherent in our country, systemic. So to blame these individuals, these people that, that the... White woke person I'm speaking of was working with as she was a teacher, and she was in the city, um, and but she got out. Uh, to blame these people for their failure would undermine the the her own hard held perspective, that the, the progressive perspective of of cause and effect, this this idea of systemic bias causing this result. That's That's kind of etched in stone now in the liberal ideology. But then that comes up against this intellectual force, and that is the personal experience they have. It gradually weighs on them at their job. I've seen it. And they're genuinely dedicated to helping people. They really are. They see this kind of failing immunity, and they want to help. They personally witness apathetic children, unacceptable behavior, Rampant, like I said, absenteeism, watered down disciplinary systems. And that's where it really is. That that's the handprint of the liberal um liberally run organizations. It's a very watered down discipline. Like I said, you cannot suspend your way out of the problem. Although unless you're willing to just have half your school be gone. Maybe that's the that, maybe that's what ought to happen. And uh, and then there are these abstract political positions don't mesh with that. so and this person also enrolled their stu- their their children two children I know of in the city schools except one of them is in a specialized program at a city school where their only conflict their only contact is generally with other gifted kids. we used to call it gifted and talented but now there's a program where in all the classes of that person there are other people like them. And the demographic tends to be much different than the demographic of the school as a whole. And it's measurements, normal measurements like attendance, suspension rate, um, grades. They're all extremely different than the the general population by a lot. And then behaviorally, this person in the high school doesn't have to deal with the, the chaos that exists in a school where you can't discipline people for their behavior. So the, the toxicity that this person has to deal with is mainly in the hallways. They have to walk around crowds of screaming kids. They have to walk through the gauntlet of, of uh, discarded food. They have to listen to the swearing, the insulting. They have to deal with the fact that there are fights that they have to avoid, avoid when they're walking sometimes. But generally they're with their friends and they're among their peers and their experience is kind of buttressed by that. And then when they get into their classes, their classes are great. Taught by great teachers, which most classes are, um, and their experience is fine, but they've in a way been segregated. This person, in a way, has been segregated, and the people like them that are in the specialized programs, kind of the, you know, what we used to call gifted and talented. And another one of her children is going to a charter school. Now, I'm not exactly sure how it's funded. It is somehow it's connected to the city school district, I believe, in some way. In fact, I'm sure it is. And that is the school I referred to earlier that gets the selected students. So all the criteria that would be present in, in the older uh, child's classes at the high school are present in this entire school. Parents must be accountable for for communicating with the school, attending meetings. They're accountable for their child's behavior. And why, why is this school so much better? Because there is an or else at play In the city schools in general, there is no or else, but at this particular school, there is, and you must qualify to get in. And I don't even think it's that much of it is the grades. I think it's more about the desire to learn as reflected by attendance, parent involvement, um, behavior, effort. And it's a just a wonderful place. So her, her idea of this city is now... Much different. She used to be in the thick of it having to deal with these this awful, awful situation while trying to maintain her liberal ideology. So what happens to people like this is they end up divorcing themselves from it in order to maintain the liberal ideology. Rather than letting it inform their ideology and make it more compatible with reality, they Divorced herself from that portion of the of the world, really, of, of of their immediate society, that saves them, kind of emotionally, socially, emotionally. They can then hold all of these political ideas like it's not their fault, it's systemic bias. Well, even though they know it's not true, but they can hold on to that because they're removed from it. It's not grinding on them every day. The truth isn't grinding on them every day. And, um, and their children aren't really affected by it. So she can say, that I sent my kids to the city. It's great. It, in any way, maybe it's the same in the uh, in like, uh, welfare departments or in criminal justice sections of society where people are battered constantly by the reality of the dysfunction of certain portions of the community. And, and as I'm sure for some, the two forces collide and some people change. That happened to me. And in some cases, the forces collide and some people just escape. And therein lies the schism between how they live their life actually, what they know reality to be actually, and their stated politics. And I think that is what's going on underneath either there's two kinds of white, woke, suburban people, suburban women that Trump somehow couldn't get. Um, Trump probably reminded them of what they knew is true for people like this woman I'm describing. And then there are the other ones who are never they never have any contact with it, with the dysfunction that they claim to be because of systemic bias or racism they're never in contact with it all they see is the, the version that cnn pr- produces and they just in their lives they don't ever go to places frequently where they have to deal with actually seeing the result of liberal policies and so in their mind that they're automatically they're they're, they're naturally divorced of from from this reality so they can hold all the liberal ideologies that they want and it, it intellectually, and it never ends up ever even coming in contact with the reality that might change their mind. I think Trump was a giant reminder of uh, to, to people who know wh- why the dysfunction really happens, and um, and try he tried to give everybody opportunities too. You know, the unemployment rate was the lowest it's ever been. So I, I mean, and that's the system. That really is a system working. Under Donald Trump, there was a system, whatever you want to call it and however it worked, that created the lowest amount of unemployment among women, Hispanics, blacks, whites, young people, in history. It's a pretty good system, you'd have to think. But some of these people, I swear, they're rooting for their football team. And that's it. Because after their football team loses on Sunday, they can go back about their normal life. They're, they're upset a little bit. Like having to wait in line behind somebody ignorant at the grocery store. They can After that, their life goes back to normal. So, anyway, I don't know. I wound around on that one. But uh, I'm looking here to see if there was something more. No, I think I pretty much covered it without even having to look at my notes. That's how passionate i was about it so with that i think it's time for me to take a quick break and gather myself back up before i get into the hard politics i have some excellent sound bites for you want to hang around for those um and i promise i won't bend your ear that much longer but i will be right back Mm -hmm. hello and welcome back to sam walking in the world this is episode 35 now to the sound bites um they speak for themselves they really do Uh, And like I say, it's as though liberals, at least the current liberal democratic establishment, they speak as though what they're saying isn't recorded. What they say now, it's as though they don't know. They can't have forgotten it. It has to be that they've gone full in on I'm going to say whatever I have to say in the moment. And um, I, I don't care if people surmise that I'm a hypocrite. Because they probably think we're all hypocrites and but I wonder I don't even really believe it anyone if anyone ever was played back something that they said and compared it to what they just said would it bounce off them would it be like worlds colliding in Seinfeld you know I honestly don't understand it and the, the integrity means maintaining the same composition in different conditions. Integrity means maintain, and in, in, in terms of, like, if you're describing a metal, yes, this metal has such and such level of integrity, meaning it keeps, it doesn't melt, right? It doesn't catch on fire. It doesn't break into crumbs. It, it has integrity. It stays the way it is, no matter what the circumstances are. I guess you can conclude that these people are lacking integrity. I don't know what their inter-workings of their psyche must be in order to be able to do this. But let me let them do the talking for you. In this era of unity, right where we're we're to suck it up and we're to unite as one country behind Joe Biden and um, stop the name-calling and uh, disparaging, demonizing. I think that literally is exactly what Joe Biden said. We need to do Just let me, let me play for you first. The, the One of the first things that a public official said in public after um, t- Donald Trump was elected in 2016 was um, Maxine Waters. She was at, I don't know if it was a spontaneous gathering or what, but she was outside somewhere, and it must have been planned because she had a microphone. And it was basically just kind of like her telling her people how things are now that Donald Trump is president and how they should act and then since it's, it's it's mind-boggling um but let's listen to it A nice little montage for him. He said today, America first. It was not just
2: a racial, I mean, I should say, racial Hitlerian background to it. Companies are medicated and hospitalized. Donald Trump, again, being a schmuck, we can truly say his words have absolutely emboldened white supremacists. He has given oxygen to racists. He is clearly trying to ignite a civil war. In this country because it wasn't racist. <laughs> Look at his remarks. He's made racist remarks, and we have a treasons president. The very fact that reasonable people can disagree on whether or not we're talking about treason or high crimes and misdemeanors or what have you, I find genuinely shocking. Trump is acting like the third world dictator here. The Times profane, angry, rambling response that was full of revenge, it was mean spirited, it was poisonous. His mind is dark. This is somebody in deep psychological distress right now.
0: At least Nancy Pelosi is keeping her head, encouraging everyone to stay calm as this process is worked through in the legal system and the vote counting, so that we all um, are confident that that uh, this new president or remaining president um, will have been elected in a proper way that everyone can um, understand to be legal and acceptable. Um, here's Nancy Pelosi.
2: After the election, the American people must have every confidence that every vote legally cast will be legally counted and accurately counted.
0: Yeah, it's <laughs> pretty good. I, I would not have expected her to take that position. Busy- Hold on, Milky's telling me something. Mm-hmm. Oh. oh, Milky's telling me that clip is from 2007. I didn't realize that. That was a uh, that was a uh, after an Obama election when Obama was predicted to be president, and um, and there were some discrepancies that were being worked out as he was the supposed president. Like so, that that was from a different time. Um, so I guess I guess she had a different opinion at that time. It's nice to know that it did occur to her, though, at that time, that it's important for everyone to have confidence that the election was conducted fairly and legally so they could all stand behind their president, at least in the fact that he is the president and was elected president. But that was 2007. Uh, All right, moving on. Um, Another thing that, that bogged... Uh, president Trump down during his first three years that was kind of related to the Democrats' inability to recognize him as president was obviously Russia collusion. And I found this clip of Adam Schiff during, I think it was probably the first year of Donald Trump's presidency. It was um, after Hillary Clinton's campaign had paid for a dossier to be created that got filtered through our um, our intelligence community and ended up in the paper um uh, leaked there i think we think by james comey i think and uh and it ended up um creating this hysteria about russia collusion that they were certain there was evidence and it was an obviously an illegitimate election and he's an illegitimate president because our as hillary clinton says our uh, a foreign adversary selected our president um, and this was when, when Adam Schiff was, and mind you, before I get to this, mind you, every every single significant party to this in the intelligence community and in the FBI was um, was um, questioned under oath behind closed doors. And they all testified that they had no evidence of, of collusion with the Russians by the Trump campaign. Every single one of them in in private, quiet, behind the scenes testimony. And that was eventually leaked out. So we know they really had nothing. And they were claiming outwardly, like uh, Clapper and, and Brennan were, were, com- were complaining outwardly, or at least speculating outwardly, that Trump was not a legitimate president. There was something there. It was uh, Evidence was hidden in plain sight, I think Brennan said. Both of those guys are dirtballs. balls. But this is when, of all people, Wolf Blitzer was interviewing um, Adam Schiff, uh, who's a Republican, I mean, I'm sorry, (laughs) a Democratic representative from California, and he's the head, I think, of, I think, the Intelligence Committee. And this is how that interview
2: went. Is there, first of all, any new evidence that you've seen about collusion between Trump associates and Russians during the election?
0: Pretty simple question, right? Yes or no? Do you have any evidence yet? You didn't even ask him the nature of it. You just said, is there evidence? Watch this weasel and his weasel words. Uh, You know, I can't
2: go into the particulars of the investigation. Uh, I can't say that uh, on a daily basis, we continue to get new information that's pertinent to our investigation. Uh, Indeed, just today got additional information that uh, could be very relevant.
0: They got information that's pertinent to the investigation. That just means it's it's related to it, and uh, <laughs> and then it essentially kind of sort of saying no, no, there isn't really any evidence yet.
2: Uh, but in terms of the contents of that, or whether it bears on the issue of collusion or coordination, or it bears on other aspects of the investigation, I'm not at liberty
0: to just. So, in other words, I can't tell you. I have this evidence, and I can't tell you whether or not it actually um, implicates the Trump campaign in collusion. Why not? Because in a sense, that's the message they're putting out there at the, at this time, to undermine the presidency. And, and he can't say. Yes, but
2: that's the, the major thrust of the House Intelligence Committee investigation,
0: whether or not uh, there was any collusion to the Ask him again. Good for for Wolf Blitzer. He's at least asking the question. It, it was like he he asked the question. Was there any collusion? And and Adam Schiff went, <laughs> and then Blitzer went, yes, but the thrust of the of the uh, uh, investigation is whether or not there's Russia collusion. Correct.
2: Right? You know, that's certainly one of the core issues that we're investigating.
0: We're also- I love that. When someone asks you if it's something, they say, it's it's one of the things. So as I name thing two and thing three, I want you to take your eye off of thing one, because I'm not really going to answer that. But it's a bunch of stuff. Why do you care whether or not that one thing is real? Because it's a bunch.
2: Looking at Uh, What was the U.S. government response uh, to the hacking and dumping in information? What did the FBI do? What can we learn from this? How do we uh, develop a better response uh, to any subsequent attack? Because, of course, the intelligence communities have concluded this was not a one-off. The Russians are going to do this
0: again. Why didn't they? Anyone notice that? Anyone notice the elephant not in the room? Where were the Russians during this campaign? During this election season. Where were they? Russia still exists. I'm pretty sure I have a listener from there. And so. I I don't understand. Why they didn't collude again. I mean they couldn't have. just Stopped wanting Trump to be in charge. In four years. Maybe they did. Maybe they did stop wanting Trump to be in charge. Because of. The way his his approach was to the rest of the world including russia maybe he didn't like maybe he didn't like trump anymore and that's why they didn't collude so they allowed trump to lose maybe we also want to make sure that the
2: assessment that was put out by the intelligence community both in classified and unclassified form was sound it was uh, based on the accurate intelligence that they got so we're looking at the raw materials to make sure they sure Is there, first of all, any new
0: evidence that you've seen? And so on and so forth. They dragged that out for three years. Where was the unity? Where was the making sure things were done fairly? It seems to have just gone by the wayside that they actually tried to, to manually terminate a duly elected president with that whole Russia thing. We know all about it now, we know all the facts. It still gets described as a narrative, but it's a great example of, of um, lying by omission. The, me- major me- the major media is right now lying by omission, <clears throat> I'm just not talking about it. It would be it would be supreme vindication if the Republicans were haranguing a democrat president and claiming it, it, it he was unjustly elected because of some collusion and then no evidence was demonstrated for it it would be it would be the big story the fact that there's no evidence would be a huge story he would be he would be completely vindicated it would it would spit, it would they would turn their attention to describing just how how sad and mean and terrible the republicans were how desperate they were and how, how little they valued democracy and the Constitution. How un-American they were for trying to do that. It's almost treasonous, as you heard in one of those clips. It, it is treasonous. And yet, I don't hear a word. It's crickets. It's crazy. I want to move on quickly to something else now, too. Because this, this, is, a, this is a clip that's from... Uh, very recently, and it's Elizabeth Warren. I've talked already about the Electoral College and why it's important, and why it's important in the Constitution in particular. Oh, it's an anti-majoritarian um, mechanism, intentionally put in the Constitution to prevent the majority mob for one, and to to uh, to continue to allow states to have significance um, in in federal politics because if like the reason there's two senators for each state regardless of the population that's anti-majoritarian I don't want to go all the way back into it but you know my feelings about the electoral college and I feel like I've articulated it pretty well where you can understand why we have an electoral college listen to this explanation to a group of obviously like-minded people in Mississippi um, as elizabeth warren describes how she thinks we should abolish the electoral college and not just that more to the point why why she explains the reason for it it is it is either lying it can't be that she's stupid it can't be that she's stupid she is lying bald face lying listen to this push
2: that right here in mississippi because i think this is an important point you know come a general election presidential candidates don't come to places, like Mississippi. Yeah. They also come to places like California and Massachusetts, right? Because we're not the battleground states. Well, my view is that every vote matters. And the way we can make that happen is that we can have national voting and that means get rid of the electoral college and
0: it. confounding it is confounding she is literally making an argument for the electoral college while making an argument against it <clears throat> there's no way that she's unaware of what she's doing she is purposely manipulating people for her own political gain, for the political gain of the Democrats. It's crazy. the, The exact thing she describes is why we need an electoral college, so that people do visit parts of the country and care about the opinions of people from parts of the country that don't have enormous city centers if we didn't have the Electoral College, it wouldn't just be Mississippi, that because it wouldn't just be battleground states that people didn't visit. It would be any state that didn't have an enormous city center population, because the majority votes come from there. The interests of farmers in places where there are lower populations would not be represented. The interests in states... That and we have a diverse group of states. The interest of certain aspects of states would not be considered at all—the regional interests that they have, whether they're industrial or religious or or political—they'd be ignored. It would be who can get Chicago, LA, New York, um, Detroit, Philadelphia, um, Austin. It would, it would eliminate the, the conservative voice in Texas because if you won Austin, you would win Texas or if you win the city centers. So everybody outside the city, and, the, and, and a lot of this is suburbs. People in the suburbs don't understand what they would get if they went along with this. Their interests would no longer be represented. That's why it was put in the Constitution to make sure that all the diverse interests of the country were considered and therefore had to get kind of you know, sold to by the politicians. Why they would have to go to places like Mississippi. It's, it's, it's so backwards what she's saying. You could literally replace her saying, get rid of the Electoral College with, and that is why we need the Electoral College. I, 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 I just, I can't, it, it's it's confounding. I can't understand why and how she would do this. Except for her her and her party's political gain. And with that, I am exhausted. Um, I'm sorry to have bent your ear for so long, but I do appreciate you listening. Um, And I have plenty more coming up in future episodes. So thank you for listening, and I will see you next time.
1: in your tone, because you're 100% wrong. I might have to close the schools, which
2: your org zone does. So what's going on? Does the city still have the ability to close its schools? Are you now taking control and saying that you have the power to make
1: this decision? And for the millions of parents who want to know, are the schools going to open tomorrow in New York City? All right. First of all, let's try not to be obnoxious and offensive in your tone because you're 100% wrong. These laws have all been in effect for months. I've always said, we set initial parameters and then the school district picked a percent within those parameters. New York City picked 3%. We announced the Orange Zone law over a month ago. I don't know if you were here or if you were paying attention. But that has been in effect for over a month. It always said, if by the state's numbers you hit 3%, the schools close. What's going on here is nothing that the law hasn't said for over a month. We then had the test out procedures. If you were paying attention, You would have known we closed the schools in New York City two weeks ago. Remember when we did an orange zone and a red zone in Brooklyn and Queens? And we closed the schools? Don't you remember that? Okay, so don't you so what are you talking about? How what are you talking about? You're now gonna override. We did it already. That's the law, an orange zone and a red zone. Follow the facts. We're still
0: confused.
1: Well, then you're confused. I'm confused and I no, think parents are, mean. Still, parents are still confused as well. The schools no, are they not confused tomorrow. You're confused. No, I think Read are the law. As well. Read the law and you won't be confused. But, how Are the schools going to be open tomorrow? The schools are open by state law. Uh, Question. I don't think he's correct in asking that question. I don't think it's obnoxious at all. In your tongue. Because you're 100% wrong. And I might have to close the schools, which your work zone does. So what's going on? Does the city still
2: have the ability to close its schools? Are you now taking control and saying that you have the power to make this decision? And for the millions of parents who wanna know, are the schools gonna open tomorrow in New York City?
1: All right, first of all, let's try not to be obnoxious and offensive in your tone, because you're 100% wrong. These laws have all been in effect for months. I've always said, we set initial parameters and then the school district picked a percent within those parameters. New York City picked 3%. We announced the Orange Zone law over a month ago. I don't know if you were here or if you were paying attention, but that has been in effect for over a month. It always said, if by the state's numbers, you hit 3%. The schools close. What's going on here is nothing that the law hasn't said for over a month. We then had to test out procedures. If you were paying attention, you would have known we closed the schools in New York City two weeks ago. Remember when we did an orange zone and a red zone in Brooklyn and Queens and we closed the schools? Don't you remember that? Okay, so don't you so what are you talking about? How what are you talking about? You're now gonna override. We did it already. That's the law. An orange zone and a red zone. Follow the facts. So confused. Well then you're confused. I'm confused. And I and I think think parents, are still, parents are still confused as well. The schools no, are they're not confused. Tomorrow. You're confused. No, I think right. Read are the law. confused as well. Read the but law, and you won't be confused. I right. right. Are the schools to be open tomorrow? The schools are open by state law. Oh, well, that's the question. I, I think it's correct in asking that question. I don't think it's obnoxious at all.